Welcome to the Long Timers Workshop. My name is Nancy. I am a gratefully recovering compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Please join me in the serenity prayer. Oh, hi. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please make sure. Okay? I'm going to do that right now. Okay. This session is being taped. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Please remember... Two hatters, i.e., OA members affiliated with related facil facilities or other 12-step programs, are requested to speak on their recovery in the OA program only. An ASCIT basket will be circulated for the question and answer portion of this session. If there's any press in the room, please respect our anonymity by not taking any pictures, using a video camera, or using our full name. The format for this session is as follows. Two speakers will share for 25 minutes each, followed by 15 minutes of questions and answers. The topic for this session is long timers. Our first speaker is Cheryl. Hi, everybody. My name is Cheryl, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And just to, to qualify, I've been an Overeaters Anonymous, and I've been abstaining June 6th was my 32nd year in this program. And, and I did it all myself. No, I'm just no, I am totally powerless over everything outside of myself, including food. And I am so grateful for this program, and I also would like to tell you that I've been speaking in a way for a long time, and a lot of times I've spoken, but it still terrifies me. And I have three people here in the, in, in the audience or whatever that are going to keep me honest, so they know my story. I would like to tell you a different one, but I only have one story, so I can only tell that. Anyway, to start out with, I'm going to tell you that another thing that I thought as an old-timer is I should have it all together and that I should have... I'm wearing a, a bracelet that says serenity. I want that desperately. And that I should always be serene under any situation, and it's, that's not always the case. Uh, prior Thursday night, prior to coming here, I had a conversation with my husband. Actually, it was an argument. But <laughs> where I knew he was right, and he knew he was right. I, I knew I was right, and he knew that he was right. And I agreed that we'd agree on a solution, but he wanted me to agree that he was right, and I was unwilling to do that. <laughs> and and I left I left that way, and uh, feeling feeling that what that is for me is that's a good thing for me, because when I came into this program, I had no opinion about anything, and I said my husband said this, my mother said this, and so and so said this. I had no opinion, and what I thought was wasn't worth a hill of beans. And I had no self-worth. I, uh, if I bumped into a piece of furniture, I said, "Excuse me," because I had I was nothing. I existed in a world of nothingness. Came to this program, and I, you know, I I, I read about this program in Dear Abby just before Thanksgiving, possibly, and, and what I read is, and I had tried everything prior to coming to this program. I had tried, you know, I only have 20 minutes, and I have 32 years to tell you about, so I've, I've got to limit what I talk about. Anyway, I had tried everything, and I read in Dear Abby this little blurb that said that this woman had tried everything there was to try and nothing worked for her and I could relate absolutely and that she tried a program called Overeaters Anonymous and it worked when nothing else could and when I just said that to you I got goosebumps because I know that 
this program has been, has performed miracles in my life. And when I come here, I came here, I wasn't really excited to be here. I did not get up when I was a little kid and say, geez, when I grow up, I want to go to Overeaters Anonymous. I want to be a compulsive overeater. You know, I want to be powerless over Twinkies. You know, I didn't say that. When I came here and and I, I went to my first meeting, and I had some idea that if I, my problem was that I was fat, and that if I got thin, men would die for me, and the world would be mine, and I could name my price for everything. And what I found out is I came to OA to my first meeting of Overeaters Anonymous, and the first speaker I heard said that he'd lost 150 pounds, and some days were still shitty. And I thought, why bother? You know, if it isn't going to be wonderful, why bother? So... But there was something magical here for me that drew me back, and that was in How It Works and A Vision for You. I heard hope for the hopeless. And if there's anything that I can say to you from the bottom of my heart is that there is hope in Overeaters Anonymous for the hopeless. There is recovery. The program works, and it works really well. And... uh, so I kept coming to meetings, and when they, the first a couple of meetings I came to, the speaker showed me the 12 steps, and I thought, you know, uh-uh. You know, I'm, I'm going to come here, and I don't like being fat. I don't like fat people, and I, I am going to come here, and if I can lose weight, then I'm going to be gone because I have much better things to do. I didn't know what. But I have much better things to do with my life than to sit in a meeting of overeaters anonymous. You know, and I went to that first meeting, I went to people, the people that were thin. I didn't want to talk to anybody else. And I said, how long have you been here? How much weight have you lost? And why are you still here? And they told me, you know, blah, 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 I've lost this amount of weight. And there was a glow in their eyes, and I, I, I didn't mistake that. And they said, and I'll be keep, I will keep coming back for the rest of my life, because even though I'm abstaining and I'm at a normal weight, I... Uh, I need this program. I'll always be a compulsive overeater. And I thought, oh, you fool. But, but I kept coming back. And I, you know, I took the books, and, and they gathered dust, and I didn't really do too much with them. But I came to meetings for three weeks before I started abstaining. And what happened for me is there was a young man in the, in the meeting, and he would follow me around, and he would tell me that I, he, I was a compulsive overeater. And I ate because I couldn't stop eating. And I said, you don't understand. You know, I like chocolate. It's better than sex. You know, and and uh, he would just say, well, you know, I don't care. You know, whatever. He said, you go home and you try eating anything that you want. And you do it. But just limit yourself to three times a day. He said, I don't care what you eat, how much you eat. And see what you can do. So I left, I left that meeting. And when I came back to the next meeting, he made a beeline for me. And I thought, oh, get out of my sight. Uh, but... And he said, how did you do? And I said, I didn't. And he looked at me. I said, I didn't even try because I knew I couldn't. And he said, then why don't you just try what we offer and try abstinence? So I went home from that meeting that night, and I, I got down on my knees. Now, I came here, and I had a God in my life, but my God was the God that you went to church, and you had to be really good, and you couldn't lie, you couldn't steal, you couldn't do anything. You couldn't touch yourself. You couldn't do any of that kind of stuff. So I, that was the God that I had in my life. So I came here, and, and uh, I heard that I had a higher power, and I had a higher power that was more powerful than the food, and that if I clung to that higher power one day at a time, perhaps I could have, not perhaps, I could have seen. So I got down on my knees. Uh, I went to the meeting, and I got down on my knees the next morning, and I said, God, if you're there, like these people tell me you're there, then you've got to help me do this, because I can't do it on my own. And I got up off of my knees, and something had changed. And I, you know, I can't explain it. And I have not, well, I was going to say I hadn't compulsively over I haven't. Uh, compulsively binged or compulsively overeaten since that day. I a month into program and a month into the abstinence, I broke my abstinence with alcohol 
it took me like, let's see, three or four years later to get to Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and that's all I'll share about that. Anyway, so I, I started abstaining, and I, when I got to this program, I was scared to death of men, and I hated women. What does that leave you, you know? <laughs> and so I, it said, get a sponsor. And I'm looking around the room, and there was a man and a woman, and I was scared to death of men. So, and, and I, so, and I, the reason I hated women is because I was married at that time, and my husband was, loved women, <laughs> a lot of them. And, uh, and, and I didn't like the comp, anyway, we won't even discuss that. Um, so that's why I hated women. It was all their fault. And uh, so I, but I was scared of men, and so I asked a woman to be my sponsor, and she said, you know, at that time we called every 21, you called for 21 days. And so I asked her if she'd sponsor me, and she said yes, and she said to call her. And she said, and when I would call, I'd think, oh, God. You know, and I'd, I'd uh, almost hold my breath, and I'd call her, and she'd say, I am so happy that you called. And I'd think, you liar. You know, because I just didn't think anybody cared that, you know, I had no self-worth when I came here. But she kept con- encouraging me. I got that 21 days of absence. I was scared that, that, you know, what do you do after 21 days? And God has been so good to me. He's put people in my life exactly when I needed them. And I went to a meeting, and I said that to somebody. And he said, how about one more? I said, yeah, I can do that. I can do one more day. So I've been doing one more day for over 32 years, and uh, it, and it's worked for me. And and what is a miraculous is that when I came here, I just you know I didn't want to work 12 steps. I knew that there was a lot of stuff wrong with you guys, that there really wasn't too much. Even though I had no self worth, I didn't think there was that much wrong with me. I felt I was like a little woebegone waif, and everybody did it to me, and I never did anything. And uh, so, uh, you know, just a sorry little thing. And, and I was sorry about everything. And I apologize for my very existence. And so as I abstained, and, and the first sponsor that I had left the program, so I got another sponsor. And uh, uh, she, the first, she got me involved in service. And that, that has been a godsend for me is because what has helped me is to be there for you, and then I'm less concerned for me, and then miracles happen in my life. And uh, so I became secretary of, the, of, of a meeting because the meeting that was the, the secretary, the secretary of the meeting said, uh, I, have, I don't have trouble speaking. Um, the, the secretary of the meeting, was, it, her term was up, and she said, if nobody takes over, the meeting's going to fold because I can't do it any longer. And I thought, you know, I need this meeting. So I didn't have a clue what to do, but I said, I'll be the secretary. So I volunteered to be the secretary. I went to the intergroup office, and I talked to somebody there, and I asked them how you get speakers and how you do that stuff and how you do all of the business. And so I learned from that. And that was all I was willing to do at first was go to meetings and uh, abstain, and that's it. And so that went on for, I would say, that was my surrender with food. And, and what I did is I said, okay, I don't like the fact that I'm a compulsive overeater, but I'll, ex- I'll accept that reservedly. And if this afternoon thing works, I'll do that. Well, I found that, you know, you, that you really need to surrender. And eventually I did. I surrendered the food. But there's two parts to the, the first step. There's, you know, that you're powerless over food, and your life is unmanageable. And I just thought if I just worked a little harder, got up a little earlier, was a little nicer, you know, that I could control you, and then my life would be manageable. But it didn't work that way. So what happened for me is I would say, oh, a little over a year of abstinence, I hit what I call a brick wall, and that was an emotional brick wall. And I contemplated suicide. I didn't follow through, and I called my sponsor, and she said that the reason that I contemplated suicide is that when you take the food away from a compulsive overeater, you're left barren, and unless you replace it with God in the 12 steps, you have, you're just empty. And so she said, there's this, there, it's either time to go or grow. 
And she said, I think you've come too far to go, so it's time to grow. So that's when I started working the 12 steps. And I would like to tell you that, that I, I just worked them really fast, and, and I, you know, I'm lazy, and I only do. I wanted everything with the littlest amount of effort. And I have found that the more I, and, and the big book and the 12 steps, when I first looked at them, I thought, how can that change your life? There's just dumb steps. How can that? But realistically, I need those steps and the big book in this program more more than ever today, more than I needed it then. It's like, because I know the value it is in my life and how it's changed my life. So, um, so I started working the steps and I wrote my inventory and I really didn't want to write my inventory because I didn't want to take a look at me. I knew that I marched to the beat of a different drummer. I knew that I had a problem with sanity. I just didn't want anybody else to know it, like the world didn't. And so I, I, I did, my, did my steps and uh, I, I did my inventory and I gave it away to my sponsor. And she told me that I had really made a remarkable step in trusting her, because she knew about my mistrust, in trusting her enough to trust her with the information in my life. And that then I went on to step six. When I did step six, uh, it wasn't long after step six that my husband left the marriage. And I was so wonderful. You know, I said, almost like, go in peace, my son. I was, I was trying... I was trying to be really serene. I'm still, is my time up? Oh. <laughs> I thought maybe God was trying to say you're not. No. Anyway, I was trying to be really serene. So, and you know what? I've hardly said anything. Uh, so, anyway, so he left, and, and so I had two things going on in my life. I thought, okay, he's gone. And, and men are just going to be running to me like crazy. And, uh, and then I was scared to death. But what happened is that that isn't exactly what happened. What, <laughs> what happened for me is I thought when he left, he was my character defect, that he was one of them. And I found out, you know, that I'm filled with character defects. He was just something to keep my eyes off of me. And that, that's what the food is. That's all that. Anything that I do outside of myself is to keep my eyes off of me and, and what my little plans and schemes are inside of myself. And so after he left, I found that, that I am so grateful that he left because that's when I started dealing with me and with my character defects and, and with my uh, lack of control when I still like to be controlling. And... Um, so anyway, that happened, and, and, and uh, so I went through a long period in, in my recovery. I was thir- single for 13 years in this program, and, and I, I went through a thing where I would go around and I would say, like, you know, I'd hear people say, I wanted, I wanted, I wanted, I didn't trust to be in a relationship, so I would put myself in situations where I would be with somebody untrustworthy, you know, does that make sense? But anyway, and then there would never be a long-term relationship, and I just couldn't seem to connect with anyone. And in the, and I did things like I would say, okay, I'm abstaining from any dating relationships or any of that kind of stuff until I get better, until I work these steps, until I can heal, and I'll be wonderful, and then I'll be able to do this thing. And then I'd go for a while, and then I'd get kind of lonely. So I w- then, then I would say, okay, you know, I, I need to practice relationships, you know, so I, I would do that kind of thing. So, and I went through a period where, um, uh, of, I would call it sexual discovery, where I, uh, uh promiscuity is what it was. Well, where, where I, you know, I was trying to discover, because my mother, you know, my mom said, good girls don't. My, you know, I went to church, and they said, good girls don't. And what? And my thought, I was really angry, and I thought, what good does it do to be a good girl? Because people just crap all over you. So, you know what? I'm going to, I'm just, I'm, men, a man may not stay with me, but they're never going to forget me. 
Yeah. So I set out on that course of destruction. And, and abstaining through it, you know, and abstaining, you know, through all of this. This is what is magical about this program is regardless, and the big book says, you know, regardless of what you're doing, this my words, not the big book, whatever you're doing in your life. And I, you know, when I was doing the promiscuity thing, I read in the big book, and I got my lead from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It says, you know, that, um, oh, shoot, I can't remember what it said, something about sex, now about sex. You know, uh, some people uh, loathe sex, so I thought, okay, I'm not going to loathe it. I'm going to like it. But, and then, so then what happened for me is I found that that is self-abuse for this compulsive overeater. And that what I was doing is I was just abusing myself all over the place. And that I had to take step six and seven in that area of my life and ask God to, to re, to, uh, to heal me so that I had a healthy aspect when it came to that area of my life. And so, you know, I had to do some abstinence and I had to do some of that stuff and everything wasn't always perfect, but you know, I would have, I would say I was a slipper. And, you know, I would, I would do no sex and then I would slip. And then I'd say, you know, I'm back to square one. But, um, what happened for me is that that took a period of time and in that period of time, uh, gosh, there's so many things, uh, that I've learned in this program in, with regard to, well, I'll, I'll finish. Oh, shoot, I only have five minutes. Okay, I'll tell you really quick. That I found that I God did take really good care of me, and He always has, and He always will. And He, through the working the 12 steps, abstaining, coming to meetings, giving service, being there for my fellow sufferer and Overeaters Anonymous, being and happy, joyous, and free. You know that my life is just awesome, and uh, and I was healed in that area, and when it was absolutely perfect timing. Everything in my life since I came to this program, when something has happened in my life for change, it's been absolute perfect timing. And I met my husband, the one that I argued with before I came here. I adore him. We've been married for 16 years, and I I adore him, and he adores me. And we're human beings, cohabitating and existing and we're both filled with self, you know, we both want things the way we want it. But most of the time, we it works really well for us. Another thing is that my husband and I, uh, we were married just a short period of time. Well, let me backtrack. I have a daughter who passed away in 1995. And uh, she died of alcoholism. And she had a, two little boys, seven and three. And uh, I was really concerned for them. And God took really good care of that because my husband and I bought a house. We moved from a small mobile home, and through a source of events, we moved to a, a big three-bedroom, three-car garage house. And it wasn't much longer after that we got custody of those two boys. And so, you know, it's, I was, I was, uh, it changed my life dramatically. Now those two boys are 18, or 18, 20 and 17. The 20-year-old has now moved out, and he's on his own, and the 17-year-old will be in his last year of high school. And it has been a remarkable time in my life with those boys. They're, you know, they're really great little dudes, and, and I, I love them tremendously. And, and they, you know, my husband knows, and they know how important this program is to me. And, uh, oh, geez. You know, I wasn't in program. I would say that's the time I got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, and that was in, in 81. I thought, you know, God had taken my life, put all my family in a blender, took the lid off, put it on high speed, and everything was just fragmented. And I would go to meetings. In, in all program meetings, and I would hear people talk about how their lives were put together and how there was healing in their life. And I'm just, 
going to tell you that that is that exactly as you work the program and, and the program works in your life. There's a healing. You know, we come in here with a soul sickness that's down, way down deep inside. And as we work this program, it's like it brings all that stuff up and discards it and we're healed. And my family has slowly been healed. And the kids that I didn't have a relationship with, I now have a really good relationship with. And I feel like my uh, raising my grandsons, well, with a lot of help from my husband, uh, has been like an amends to my daughter. Even though I had made my amends, this is a living amends to my daughter that, you know, her boys are fine boys. And, and I'm grateful for this program because had it not been for this program, I, I wouldn't have been in a position to do the things that I've needed to do in my life. And, uh, you know, I could talk forever. And I can tell you guys that um, I love Overeaters Anonymous. And I, lo- I don't know all of you, but I, I love you because you're my fellow people. And I'm wrapping it up right now. And... Uh, I don't know if I've said anything. The, uh, I just want to leave you with one thing. The program works. And God is, you know, it, it all works. And thank you very much for letting me. Thank you, Cheryl. Our second speaker is Robert. Let's welcome I'm Robert, a compulsive overeater. I only expected seven or eight people here this afternoon. It's late Saturday afternoon. This is usually my nap time at home. And and we have our distinguished speaker from last night sitting here. Uh, Earlier we had our Region 2 chair. And uh, I see in the audience friends I've known for over 20 years, and several people I haven't met yet, but they're going to be my friends. So, welcome to you all. Out of curiosity, how many of you have belonged to Overeaters Anonymous for over five years? Holy cats, I'm in the right place. (laughs) Um, I'd like to make a general statement first. It's an old cliche that you've heard many times, but I truly mean it. I would like you to take what you want and leave the rest. Now, there are going to be some things I say that either you don't agree with or you think they're just not very important. But if I get one thing across that's valuable to you, then I will feel that I've certainly earned my salary for this afternoon. (laughs) I'd like to give you basically my qualifications first. I've uh, been a member of uh, Overeaters Anonymous for over 23 years. I weighed over 300 pounds, and I don't know exactly how much because the scale went, didn't go above 300 pounds. Um, I used to have a belt, a 56-inch belt, that I would bring in and sort of put my arms up and the belt would drop through. Uh, I'm, I'm wearing a 40-inch belt today, so that gives you an idea of the weight loss. And so if weight is one of the things that's important to you, uh, it certainly worked for me. Uh, when I came into OA, my cholesterol was over 230, pardon me, over 250. It's now 135. So that indicates the internal kinds of change that also goes along uh, with weight loss. I once calculated that I would probably weigh over 450 pounds uh, this year based on just the weight gains that have been going on for the 10 years previous to my coming to OA. So I'm, I'm a little slimmer than 450 pounds. Um, but when I said that comment to a, a friend, he said, oh, no, you wouldn't. You'd be dead. And he's absolutely right. And the reason is that when I was uh, uh, younger, about 30 years ago, as a matter of fact, uh, 1976, my uh, father suffered a heart attack and I was in the hospital. Uh, with him and uh, in Manteca, and they decided they were going to transfer him to uh, a larger hospital because he was still alive after several hours. And I asked about what kind of heart operation they could do, and 
And the doctor said to me, we can't operate on your father, he's too fat. And that was a, a brutal reminder of what this disease can do. Uh, a little over 10 years ago, I wound up in the hospital with a heart operation, open heart operation. I have a zipper. That's a technical term that is applied to people who've had uh, open heart surgery. Uh, I don't mean the three bypasses that they put in, but rather the fact that they opened up my heart, uh, took a look at my mitral valve and uh, decided to repair it. And so I'm, I'm not standing here with a repaired mitral valve because it failed. I didn't die. Um, they, three months later, they operated again, and put in another zipper. I have a lot of zippers. And uh, uh, put in a little artificial tinker toy that, that if you're standing real close to me and the room is quiet, you can actually hear it going tick-tock, tick-tock, or whatever it does. So, so I literally would be dead if it weren't for Overeaters Anonymous. Um, a, a bit of my history. Um, last night, our speaker spoke of uh, death um, and that being a factor in um, dealing with, with uh, our disease. Um, I remember a man named uh, Estes. The Mary Pines took me to see him buried in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, when I was uh, five years old. It traumatized the daylights out of me. And about three years later, my uh, younger brother died of a brain tumor. And I can recall that uh, my sister and I, when we came home from school, I was in the fifth grade then, uh, we were sent next door because the uh, mortician and the uh, physician were there uh, helping my parents deal with his death. Um, in those days, there wasn't television. And so the lady next door who was looking after us uh, had turned on the radio and we were listening to the Lone Ranger. And my mother arrived to get us and uh, she heard us listening to the Lone Ranger and saw us and said, how dare you? Your brother is lying dead in there and you're having fun. It so traumatized my sister that the problem she wound up with, including alcoholism, uh, caused a, a, an early death. And it so traumatized me that I vowed never to cry again. And it has been almost impossible for me to do it. But there were pictures of me at that age, slim, young kid growing up. The next year, the pictures changed dramatically. Uh, the first real effect of being overweight occurred when I went to the went to try out for the uh, Mineral Wells flag football team. And I made the team. And very first game, very first play, before they even started, the coach from the other team came out and said, that kid is too fat. He's overweight for our league. They took me into the gym, they weighed me, and I was too heavy. So that was the first dramatic experience I had with weight adversely affecting me. Um, I went in through school, and my weight would go up, and my weight would go down. I was a great yo-yo player. Uh, and if, I suspect most of you have the same experience, going up and going down. Um, I went on to become a teacher. Matter of fact, the first job I ever had was right here in San Jose, uh, teaching history at uh, San Jose State. And uh, I taught for uh, 49 years, so that was my professional career. Anyway, um, I then started to try to deal with this yo-yo effect. And I started, I went to a number of really good programs. MetraCal was, ex, was exciting. You've heard of that. <laughs> tried MetraCal. I tried AIDS. That's that little caramel candy. That, that, that was wonderful. <laughs> Were we supposed to eat two? Oh. There are people familiar with my program. Um, then I, then I, um, I tried the Dr. Atkins diet, uh, and there was something a little strip. I don't know if it was his, his thing or something else, but I won't use the details, but it was a way of measuring if you were losing weight or not. 
And so I, I tried that one. I had the drinking man's diet, which was fabulous because I didn't drink. My favorite was the one with uh, whipped cream and nuts. Uh, and by the way, strangely enough, I would actually lose weight for a while, and I would always gain it back. And uh, then the drinking, let's see, I told you about that one. Well, having failed with all these individual diets, I then tried the, the organized diets. And I went to Weight Watchers. I went to Weight Watchers three different times. Every time I lost weight. And I'd like to tell you how I did it. I would come in. I would be weighed. The next week I'd come in, but I'd wear slightly lighter clothes. <laughs> I'd go down to about three or four weeks into the program, I'd be down to shorts, T-shirts, and Zoe's. And that, and that would be the last meeting I went to. Um, yeah, we do have a lot in common, huh? Okay. Well, anyway, having failed at Wheat Watchers several times, I went to hypnosis. And I remember the, 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 the one question I asked the hypnotist that really surprised me. It said, you know, I feel like when you have me lie down in this dark room and you put this heavy blanket over me and you start playing a tape, I feel like I'm going to sleep. He said, no, 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 no. You're just under deep hypnosis and it's going to help you with the weight. So that was, that was fairly expensive um, and it did work for a while. You know, the placebo effect. Anyway, bottom line was that it didn't work for me forever and failed. Um, I tried sick aversion therapy. That was good. It was only $500 in those days. It's a lot more expensive now. Uh, and sick aversion therapy was essentially um, I would come in for half an hour treatment. I would put my finger in a little device that gave me electric shocks uh, and it told me about all the bad foods I shouldn't eat. And each time I was asked to bring in a food that I really loved. And I'll just give you one. I brought in a uh, confection that uh, has to be kept very cold. Uh, vanilla, chocolate, strawberry. Uh, and, and I wasn't, I was asked, what do you like about it? It was the dumbest answer I ever gave in my life. I said, it's cold. So they had me put my hand into this half gallon and they went ahead with the treatment. They told me about how all the bad things were put it flies and so on into the ice cream. It did ruin my appetite for ice cream. But they left the fingers in, and when I finally got to leave, I actually had a numbness that still exists in the fingers. Uh, frostbite. Uh, I wasn't smart enough to sue. Anyway, um, it finally came down to the only solution for me, because I was thinking about death, too, as a very good option, was stomach stapling. So, um, and that's neat. It was only $12,000 at that time. It's gone up a lot since then. Uh, but while I was waiting for stomach stapling to come along, I uh, gorged out, as I always did on Thanksgiving Day. And Thanksgiving night, I was turning on the radio to listen to go to sleep. And a Dr. Rubin came on. And so I'm listening to the psychologist talk about problems. And a lady called in. And she said, Doctor, I'm 100 pounds overweight. I don't know what to do. And he said, go to Overeaters Anonymous. I had never heard of Overeaters Anonymous. But I quickly found out where the next meeting was, and so I went to uh, a Brown Book meeting uh, the following weekend and uh, walked in. It was a Brown Book meeting. I uh, looked around the room, sat down, and at the opening, you know, they, they, they read, uh, Welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, Welcome Home. And I realized at that instant, I am home. And I've been home ever since. I've never left. I probably average about 250 meetings a year. So you can tell that I'm truly dedicated, truly committed to this program. Um, after it was over, I asked the man sitting next to me, whom I've never seen since, um, what do I do now? He said, well, if you're serious, you'll do what we do in AA. Go to 90 meetings in 90 days. So I went to 90 meetings in 90 days. Now this morning there was a, a speaker in another meeting who made the observation that his sponsor had suggested he might go to five meetings a week. Well, I happen to be the sponsor. And the truth is, I was letting up on him. I didn't say 90 meetings. I, I thought I was doing a good thing for him. Uh, 
Well, enough, enough of that uh, and that background. Um, so I, I came into OA. Um, I had my first criticism in OA about uh, four or five months into the program. I had a honeymoon abstinence. I mean, weight was just flowing off of me. And uh, I walked into a meeting, and, and one of the regular members looked at me and said, I don't like you. <laughs> and I asked why, and she said, you're losing weight. And that's what I thought I wanted to do. But that was the first criticism. For four or five years, I've forgotten the exact amount. My program worked beautifully. And then, <coughs> relapse. And I couldn't figure out what went wrong. Overeaters Anonymous, we, many of us in Overeaters Anonymous have relapsed. The question is, what do we do about it? Uh, if you've ever attended a regular meeting where I've been in attendance, I will normally write in the comments section, don't quit before the miracle. I had a sponsee once who was in a meeting. He wrote in after his name, get the miracle and then quit. <laughs> and he did. Uh, he quit. He didn't get the miracle. And I suspect he's probably dead by now because it was a life and death issue for him as well as it has been for me. But I kept coming back no matter what. And the, the really neat thing is I started to try to figure out why. Now, the big book, it says it doesn't matter why. But if I couldn't figure out what was going on, what was going wrong, how could I possibly correct it? And I figured, well, first step, we are powerless over food. Man, I'm powerless. There's no question about that. I've never been stopped by the police with lots of candy in the back seat. But um, some of us have. But it, it, I, I knew I couldn't handle it. And the second one uh, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore us to sanity. And there was, there was a, a real issue for me. I believed in God. I went to church regularly. But, you know, I couldn't quite believe that God cared how much I weighed or what I ate. And so I looked at that and I thought, here's my problem, second step. What's the answer? The answer is, for me, is there a God? Well, if there is not, there ought to be, and I will act as if there is. Okay, if, since there's a God now established, uh, does God care what I eat? Well, if God doesn't, God should, and I'm going to act as if God does. Relapse came to an end for me. And life became much more pleasant again and led to where I am now. Okay, let's, let's take a look at um, what I do for program. I go to four to five meetings a week. In the men's meeting, I'm the uh, backup secretary. There's a 100-pound meeting uh, in our county, and I started that meeting. On Tuesday nights, we have a big book session at our home. It's not an official meeting, but we study with people we sponsor. And we just finished the big book about uh, three or four weeks ago, celebrated by having dinner out as a group. And we'll start again with the book. Uh, we started it this last Tuesday. So it's a constant feed-in. And there, we have something special in Sonoma County. Let me share it with you, and maybe you want to use it too. We actually tried three years ago at World Service to get this accepted. Uh, it wasn't successful, but I still think it's a great idea. We have on Wednesday and Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock in Howarth Park, which is a big park in Santa Rosa, we have a walking meeting. And 9 o'clock we meet. We go off and walk for about three miles, hour hour and a quarter, hour and a half, depending on who's walking and how fast. And then we go back for coffee afterward. Now, there are all sorts of interesting consequences of that, including such things as, well, let me give you one that's really good. Uh, we had a, a member of our fellowship that attended a meeting in one town and a member of our fellowship who attended a meeting in another town, and they met on the walk. First time they'd ever seen each other. 
And it just so happened they walked about the same pace. They seemed to talk about the same length of time. And at coffee afterwards, uh, uh, one of the people in our group said, uh, said to the man, you know, you really ought to get her phone number. I've already got it. <laughs> and they were married last year, so you never can tell what happens in walking meetings. Uh, I'll come back to that a little bit later if I might. I've, um, I believe in, in service. I think it is the key to success in the program. And I think by your staying in Overeaters Anonymous, you make back that contribution which you were, have so generously been given. Really important for us not to quit. Um, I've started meetings. I both a step and food sponsor. The food sponsoring I do by email. Uh, and that's with four people every day. I send my email food to them and they send back their comments to me and what they may be eating and what their problems are. And then I actually meet with people that I work on in terms of step sponsoring. Uh, and that's been very, very successful for from my point of view. Um, I've served all of the positions in uh, intergroup and uh, served on world service. Uh, some personal things about how I'm working the program. I'm one of those people who absolutely has to weigh and measure. My scale is sometimes off. I feel sure it weighs short. But, but it, nonetheless, I weigh and I measure my food, and that's the way I control my lying to myself because I'm very capable of saying, oh, that's, that's such a small helping. It must, can't be half the calories that it actually was. So I weigh and I measure. Uh, I use a CPAP machine. How many know what a CPAP machine is? Oh, we have a lot of hands. What that represents is the fact that I have been so fat in my uh, earlier that I can't breathe at night. My, my air passages are cut off. If you would like to try an experiment, try not breathing for 45 seconds while we're in here in the room. And you'll find how difficult it is. Well, that's how they measured how often I stopped breathing, something like 250 times a night. And uh, the, the uh, length of the, of the most was 45 seconds. I have a friend who measured two and a half minutes. Well, that kind of thing can really mess a heart and its operation up. So I have to have a CPAP machine. That's one of the consequences of compulsive overeating that I have. Um, anyway, I uh, do one other thing. I keep a written record of my food intake every day, weighed and measured. It can become so yicky. <laughs> but it's a way of staying honest. It's a way of knowing where I am and what I need to do. So I'll just simply say that that's the case of it. And now I'd like to speak about the last part of, of OA in my life and why maybe more than any other single item, this keeps me in OA. More than life, more than uh, service, more than all those things together. It's the relationship with the people in OA that I know. Oh, what a blessing that is. It truly is a blessing. Um, we do, uh, up in Sonoma County, something a little bit different in addition to the walking. Uh, we, we have parties. Now, most of you have, have probably run across the problem of churches and so on saying, hey, we want some insurance if you're going to be having a dance or something. So, uh, I'm fortunate we have a home that lends itself to these things. And three times a year, we do something really special. In the summer, July 19th this year, we're having the summer picnic and games. So people will come over and they will have a picnic from roughly one to two or so. And then at two o'clock, we'll start off with raw egg tossing. <laughs> That's one of the great competitions of all kind because we'll have balls going as far as from here to that back wall. And sometimes they'll land in the grass and they won't break. And sometimes they'll land in your hand and they will break. Uh, we even have a dog that goes around and takes care of the problem afterwards. <laughs> uh, we, have, uh, we have ping pong. Matter of fact, we have in the room right now uh, the runner-up uh, uh, in the ping pong championship. It, it happens to be a man, but the reality is a woman won the championship. So that's, that, that's just sort of the way ping pong goes. And we have softball and we have croquet and so on. It's a fellowship meeting of the county. We have maybe 50, 60 people there. In the fall, we have a Halloween costume and dance. I should have brought some pictures of the, dance, of the costumes. 
They are outrageous. This last year, for example, I came as a 1921 um, Green Bay Packer, known as the Acme football team. We had visited Green Bay. I went to the stadium. Uh, they had this uniform. I bought it, leather helmet. Uh, this year I'm coming as a uh, butler. Um, had to get a tuxedo for our daughter getting married, so I now have a, 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 a proper attire for that. My wife, I won't describe her costume. Is this different? Uh, anyway, and, and then at uh, uh, Christmas time, we have uh, uh, a gathering of Christmas songs and so on, and then we go out and serenade the community if uh, the weather is good enough. There's one other little story I'd like to share with you before I quit. It's another reflect of Overeaters Anonymous. I'm going to meetings, enjoying them immensely, and finally I'm being given an opportunity to speak for the first time. So I invite some friends to come with me. My sponsor, uh, a friend sponsor, a uh, friend from, from one, of, one of the other meetings, a couple of other people who can't make it. Anyway, I, I give a presentation. It's a luncheon time meeting. So I, I don't want to spend too much time uh, uh, talking of eating during the meeting, so I wait till afterward, invite everybody to lunch. Only one person accepts. So that's, okay, that's fine. So two of us go to a meeting. We go to a restaurant, and it's pouring down rain. I mean, it is pouring. I love rain. Uh, pouring down rain and so we're practically the only people in the restaurant and uh, she uh, during the conversation says what would you do if you only had six months to live and I'm a very cautious careful person and in essence what I said is I would ask you to marry me her response was oh a year and a half later, we married. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Robert. I will now draw questions from the Ask It basket. Sarah, that's 15 minutes. I'm recording it this. Up to 15 minutes. Okay. As the convention chair mentioned last night, why do you think OA doesn't have as many old timers as one would hope? Who'd like to go try that one? I'm a possible reader. Uh, this is only my opinion. Well, because, you know, this is a deadly disease, and a lot of people don't think it's that deadly. But it's just been my, and I'm really good at making my own observations. And I think my observation is that we, this is what I see. We come here, we get our lives together, we get some sense of self-worth, we get a life outside of here, and we get really busy out there, and we just forget about here. I That's just mine. And, you know, you guys may not agree with me, but I've just been observing that. And, uh, you know, compulsive overeating, abstaining a day at a time, it's a hard, it's, it's, it's a deadly thing, and it's a a difficult path. That's enough. I could tell. Talk forever. Okay. Is there any tool or step that you have difficulty with? What you What did you do to combat that? My problem with step two, I've already alluded to. That was a very important one for, about dealing with uh, um, 
having lost my apps to them. But the tool I have most trouble with is phone. I have, as you notice, two hearing aids on. When I'm on the phone, I can hardly hear, and sometimes I'll wind up making the stupidest comments. If you were to see me out here in the meeting and say something to me, you might get a very funny response, just because I will kind of guess at what you might have said, and maybe I'll be right, and maybe not. So I tend to have problems with the telephone. My solution is to ask my wife to take care of it. When I came to this program 17 years ago, there was no plan of eating as one of the tools. How do I incorporate that into my program now without feeling that I'm on a diet? Who wants that one? Okay. The difference in, to me in OA between a diet and our program is that in all the diets I've ever tried, and I gave you a few of them I, I mentioned, is that they're focusing on the diet. They're not focusing on what causes the problem. OA focuses on what causes the problem through the steps. So we work the steps to be able to solve those causes which we need to deal with. And uh works for me. How do you guide your sponsees? What do you ask them to do? I don't ask them to do anything I'm not willing to do. And uh, I guide them as I was guided when I came in here. You know that it's really important for them to abstain and that surrender. And then I start them out with, uh, reading a lot and writing a lot on each of the steps, and we just take it a step at a time. I know we hear, when I'm ready, I'll do it. Isn't it embarrassing to just come to OA meetings for 10, 20, 30 years and have the same and be the same weight or more. Who wants that one? No, it's not embarrassing because you're still trying. As long as you're here, you have a chance to solve problems or relate to wealth or anything health, health, not wealth. <laughs> Maybe we'll deal with wealth. Uh, so to me, it's fabulous. And when I see someone coming back from having dropped away for a while, I'm as happy as can be. And try to let them know that because outside is not the way to recover. Thank you. Seems like OA is just a big kickback back social groups I'll do when I'm ready whereas 90 day OA is the precious warm man guys I'm having a hard time whereas 90 day OA is the precious a same my life today can you read this forever see what you can do with this I'm sorry I have the thrust of it anyway, and let me say that in my opinion, 90-day OA is great. I'm in favor of it. Um, I'm in favor of FA. I'm in favor of anything that works for children. And we're all children in terms of being how we deal with food because we've not been too successful. Um, anything that helps for me. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. How ha how have your recovery needs changed as you as you become a long timer? Sorry. <laughs> how have recovery needs changed as you become a long timer? Yeah. <laughs> 
Thanks. <laughs> we are growing and changing all the time, so it seems logical that one's program would change as we mature and find out more about things. I don't lose weight as easily now as I used to, but I can still lose weight if I work the program. I'm a newcomer every day. I just want to say that I'm in constant process of growth and change, and every day I get up, I'm a newcomer, and I have an absolute wonderful chance for recovery for that day, and I have to remember that, and it doesn't matter how long I'm in this program, that that's what I get to do on a daily basis. Thank you. How do you keep up your self-esteem when after years you are still struggling with food and gaining some weight? I'll answer that. Um, gosh, I think it's probably about 12, 13 years ago I quit smoking. And I made a bargain with God that if I quit smoking, he wouldn't let me gain any weight. And what I found out is that I did put on some weight after I quit smoking. And what I had to do is I knew that if I abstained a day at a time, that eventually that weight would come off. And that what was important is that I abstained a day at a time and I didn't smoke and that God would take care of the rest. So. Oh, this, is, this is a good one. It says, Cheryl, you are awesome. <laughs> how, how, long, how long in program to be a long timer? I'll answer that. I have a friend in, in OANAA who says, you just abstain and you don't die. And that's how you get to be a long timer. <laughs> Can you share a specific spiritual moment that has had a profound change on you and carries you through many a dark day? Cheryl's got it. See, I like this better because I forget when I'm up here. Uh, yes. Oh, uh, let me think. 22. 18 years ago, my granddaughter was two and a half years old, and she contracted a disease called meningococcemia. It's a very deadly disease, and they had, she had a 5% chance of living. I'm at the hospital, and I'm dying, thinking if she dies, it's all over for me. And that, I had a, and I get goosebumps when I think about this stuff, I realized that at that time, that God is not the reason the things happen in our life. He is the answer. And that I just had to cling to the fact that whatever happened, if, he, if she lived or if she died, it was all in God's hands. And I, that from that time on, I have been able to, when things happen in my life, I think God is not the reason. He's my answer. And that's all I want to say. Was that 20 minutes? Oh, yeah, five oh, five So why aren't OA 90 days offered or mentioned at all OA meetings? Or is this a special group now? How can we find these groups? Cheryl doesn't know. Do you know the answer to that, Robert? I don't know. The fact that you're well in 90 days. Yeah, I think that on our, on our, you mean on our meeting schedules, it lists 90 day meetings. Some people don't know what OA 90 days is. No, it's, um, I, you know, I'm not an expert to talk about it. So um, if this person who wrote this um, wants to talk to somebody, like at registration, to get some more information, because OA um, 90 days is still considered part of OA. So, um, but I'm not an expert on it, so I'd rather not speak on it. Okay. Um, last question. How do you deal with weight gains and abstinence? You work the program. You keep coming back. You accept the fact that you're not perfect and that you're willing to try. It works.
Thank you so much, uh, Cheryl and Robert. It is now time to close this session. Let's thank our speakers and all who have given service for this session. Please stand and join hands as we close with, um, what do I do with Oh, um, I put my hand in yours.